This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or wherever you're listening to us. Thank you for joining us this week. Coming up today, Michael Caruso to join us to talk about his brand new deal with Gary Rogers Motorsport and TCR Racing for 2020 and beyond. So we'll have a chat to Michael Caruso. We'll also have a chat to Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye at the launch of the Team 18 cars this week. And uh, we did get to see the brand new DeWalt car that Scott Pye will be driving around with the number 20 on it. First of all, let's say a very good evening to Richard Crow from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowsey. Hey, Shebexter. Looking forward to tonight's program. Much to discuss as we build ourselves into the nitty-gritty of the full season proper. It hasn't wasted any time in encroaching among us. We've had livery mania this week with all of the teams just about dropping their 2020 paint schemes on us in the space of a mad 24 hours. Um, there's been some S5000 driver announcements saying Goddard will be racing there this year, which is terrific. And uh, Michael Caruso, who is standing by, uh, will race with Gary Rogers Motorsport in the Car Sales TCR Australia Championship. And I like this story. It's a good one. Uh, he's a ripper bloke. He's good for the sport. And this is a very, very big get, Shebex, to uh, for TCR on their field this year. Of course it is. You're in our Adelaide studios and getting ready for a big week and next week. Uh, let's join Michael Caruso. Uh, g'day, Michael. What studios are you in? <laughs> At the studio of my house, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but but honestly, how um, how good is this? I'm actually actually very chuffed that I've gotten the call up from the boys to come on and have a chat. Well, we we didn't touch you last year due to the fact that we were involved in podcast wars. But I yeah. <laughs> we can put that behind us, I think, for this year. Um, I, look, I, you know what I love about podcasting is, and for, for us, I mean, the big thing from Dave and I doing the whole podcast thing last year was, you know, the more people that are speaking about our sport and, and you know, guys like you guys, uh, you've got so much passion, knowledge, and, and the more we can talk about our sport, the, I think the benefit is for all of us involved. No doubt. It just makes it bigger and better for everyone, doesn't it? Um, congrats on the TCR drive, mate. That's big news. couple of year deal with your old mates at Gary Rogers and a, an old sponsor in Valvoline who have just been so good to the sport for so long. Just give us your, your overriding feeling a couple of days after what was a, a very cool announcement. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's um, look, uh, yeah, really, really happy and excited about uh, going back home. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's good to to join back up with Gary and the team. But like you said, with Valvoline as well. I mean, um, you know, obviously they were the naming rights uh, when I joined GRM back in two thousand and eight. So pretty cool that we could uh, all join together again in in I guess a a series that's um, showing a lot of potential and growing so quickly. But um, this is something that I've been working on. Oh, for quite a while now, so to see it to come to fruition is um, is pretty cool. Michael, is there a is there a feeling in the GRM uh, garages of just wanting to move forward now? Past is behind them. What's happened's happened in supercars. Full focus now is on uh, TCR and the like. Yeah, look, it is. It's very much so. I mean, it's going to be a very busy year because it, you know they've obviously got a few cars to look after as well. So they're they're full steam ahead and um, not much has changed down there, you know, in terms of when I was there last year, halfway through the year, helping them out uh, when Richie got injured. You can see that, like, you know, the fab shop's no different. They're working on cars. Um, they've got lots of parts, you know, bouncing around the factory as well. So it's not, it's not like, um, you know, they're, they're any less busy now that they're involved with TCR and S5000. It's, um, it is full steam ahead in motor racing. What did you make of year one of TCR, Michael? It was a, a strong launch season. The racing was pretty good. The depth was was really solid. What were your key takeouts from year one? Yeah, I think you hit nail on the head, mate. It's um, it's it's a good series, and it's got a lot of potential to grow in a space where um, I think in Australian motor racing at the moment there seems to be you know a big gap between supercars. Uh, and I guess, you know, coming out of a, a club-level, you know, racing series that to, you know, to be affordable effectively, uh, and that's really, uh, you know, the struggle that we have in motor racing. We hear about it lots in supercars, 
that, uh, you know, the expense and, and some of the changes we've seen recently with supercars, uh, it, uh, it shows that, you know, it's, it's not cheap. So to, to fit themselves in between, I think they're in a good space. Uh, the racing's great, uh, and that's only going to grow. And, and the depth, um, like you said, that I'm sure that uh, there'll be some more key announcements before we uh, get to the first race. How did you cope with 2019, Michael, your first season, first full season as a non-full-time driver and uh, just doing bits and pieces and the like? How did that sit with you? Was it good to have a year off? Uh, it actually, I really enjoyed my year last year. It, uh, it gave me a, a, an opportunity to, to build myself outside the car, um, which, you know, obviously has led to something like this. And, uh, you know, on a commercial sense, it's uh, it's such a crucial part uh, these days in motor racing or probably any sport or any business that, um, you know, having that understanding and uh, the best way to get the most out of it and, you know, connecting with different uh, different people and relationships has been good. Um, obviously, working on RPM was a fantastic opportunity. I mean, there's really only one magazine show in in the motoring industry, so to be on the panel of that was, was a great experience and, uh, you know, something I've really enjoyed, so... Good mixture of things. Did some racing as well, and um, you know this year is going to be full steam ahead. You know, racing supercars and TCR. Um, yeah, the Pod Wars, uh, as you said a bit <laughs> earlier, would be good fun. I'm sure there's there's plenty of shit to come out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, no doubt. You, you touched on RPM, Michael, and we had Garth Tander on the show last year, and we talked about his transition out of full-time supercar racing and now he was embracing a lot of the media stuff as well and you worked with him on rpm on 10 for the last year how did you find that the media side of it what was it like from the other side of the fence when you were the one perhaps asking the questions and putting your analysis and, and input into the sport it, it that's a great question mate because when you're involved so deeply um in a sport and particularly, you know, at an athlete's level, you, you've obviously got the blinkers on. You're worried about what you're doing and you sort of don't see outside your own little world. And mm. last year was a great opportunity to see our sport um, from a different perspective and probably from a fan's perspective more so. Uh, you know, like I didn't attend every event. So the ones that I was watching from home, um, seeing how we did things from, you know, from that point of view was a real eye-opener because uh, I'm, I'm one that – is a big believer that uh, as much as I love motor racing, you know, in the sense of, you know, door to door action and what have you, we need, we need really very, very quickly to um, collect together and start focusing on the entertainment side, because we've seen the realities of that in the real world at the moment. And I think motorsports in a bit of a position at the moment where if we don't have that entertainment side um, sorted very soon, then uh, it's going to become, you know, very difficult to, to go forward. So I hope that's, um, you know, that's the lens that we need to start focusing on. Um, and obviously, you know, the expense stuff is is what we spoke about before. But really, um, you know, you can see it with all other sports now transforming and, and trying to evolve to, to basically what the consumer wants. And that's, you know, our race fans, effectively. They want to see entertainment. They don't want to turn up and watch a bunch of cars, you know, drive around in a procession or be predictable. So um, that's that's where I see us going, hopefully. Uh, supercars then, do you see that as becoming more entertaining in 2020 than it has in the past? Uh, it has potential, but um, but I think we need to do more. There's no doubt we can do more to, to help that. It's just, I think in a sport where, you know, we've, for the, for the whole, you know, I guess for the last hundred years, we've turned up on Friday, practice, raced on Saturday, qualified, fastest or slowest race on Saturday, raced on Sunday and gone home. I think we need to come up with a better concept. Um, we've been, you know, like I said, when you're doing the same, rolling out the same tricks every weekend, it um, it becomes predictable. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some ideas out there and there's some smart people that, um, you know, that can apply that. To motor racing it's just going to take some people to uh to see that it will work and uh, not to be scared of a bit of change do you do you see an element of that in tcr michael with you know that they do short sharp races it's quite condensed on the day um especially those sunday races which happen real very quickly back to back nothing in between 
um, reverse top eight or top ten or whatever it is. Is there an element of that that appeals to you? Yeah, look, there's no doubt. They've, I think they're trying to do stuff a little bit different, and they can. Um, you can see already that they they understand that they have the advantage probably of having cars that are strong in different areas of the racetrack. So it's going to create uh, racing um, mm. where it's that's probably quite the opposite in supercars. The cars are very very similar, um, so it makes it difficult to create racing. So. Um, not saying that that's what they need to do in supercars to fix it, but you know that's just, I guess, a, a very easy difference in the two categories. Media obviously plays a big part in your life now as well, and that will continue throughout 2020, even though you have the uh, the drive with Gary Rogers Motorsport. Life in motor racing for you, what's what does the future hold? If you look five, ten years down the track and there wasn't driving opportunities there for you, would you look at a, a another role in motorsport other than media? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about the future, maybe not 10 years down the track, but definitely three to five years. Um, you know, I, I can see myself driving in that period. There's no doubt. But, uh, in terms of outside of that, I'd probably want to be in administration role as well. You know, I feel like I've got enough experience and knowledge, uh, in our sport, you know, um, at a, at a certain, a certainly high level to, you know, pass that on and, and hopefully help our sport continue on in the foreseeable future. So what that is exactly is hard to know. But, um, look, we all know, we, we anyone listening to this show would love motor racing as much as we all do. So you, you would do anything to um, be a part of it and, uh, and hope to see it succeed. Uh, let's just dive quickly into the nitty-gritty of, of TCR for you this year. What, what are your expectations? The the Alpha looked like a really strong package last year, especially in the hands of Dylan O'Keefe, who did a, a super job, and the GRM car was up towards the front in the second half of the year. So you must feel like you've got a, a decent package, but how do you feel like you're going to go adapting to a front-wheel drive car, a car with no rear grip on the first two laps, and all the other elements that make these things quite tricky to drive? Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. I think, um, look, there's no doubt I'm... I'm I'm there to win it, and you know that I think that's probably a given. I would have thought from a lot of people in terms of expectations, they'd expect me to come there and, and be trying to win. Um, there is going to be a transition period, which uh, we're very much aware of, and I am myself. So, like you said, the differences in front wheel drive. Um, we see those cars, you know, moving around uh, a lot, quite a lot, and not, you know, obviously the first few laps, but even after restarts, uh, you know, the cars obviously don't have a massive amount of power so adjusting to all the little little things um you know even uh, i guess the alpha it's a left-hand drive so getting used to actually getting in on the left-hand side <laughs> rather than doing the old jump in the right-hand side which will, uh, i'm sure will happen <laughs> a few times but um yeah it's look I'm, I'm looking forward to this year or the next couple of years at least it's um it's going to be good fun and you know I think there's, you know, there was already talk of at least 35 odd cars for the Grand Prix, um, wow. which is amazing. You know, yeah. that that's that's the type of stuff we need to to have every weekend. Um, it doesn't matter what form of racing you're in, because uh, that alone it, it looks great, and it'll uh, there'll definitely be some racing up and down the field. Sure. And some great opportunities too for the category with uh, the new TV deal that's been struck with Channel Seven. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a it's a fantastic deal, and I think it's it's one that brings motor racing back to the fans. You know, to have every event on free to air TV um, is a big, big advantage. And uh, I know uh, through the people that I've spoken to in the category and um, at, at Channel Seven, they're pretty excited about having motor racing on a regular basis again. And and that is, you know, it's crucial to the sport to have. Um, to have a network that that love it as much as us and uh you know want to see it thrive so i'm looking forward to uh to being part of it well, last one for yeah, me chris now when you and i were both a lot younger than we are now i distinctly remember watching <laughs> you out at my home track at malalar and a, a bright red little dalara formula three car and you went very well and you won a formula three championship uh, just so happens that your mate gary rogers has got a bunch of uh wings and slicks open wheelers in his garage do you you put your hand out for an S5000 drive at some point between now and the end of the year? Um, yeah, look, I've watched on and uh, been intrigued about that. It's uh, they, sound, they sound pretty cool. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
I, I haven't spoken to Gary about that yet, to be honest, but my good mate um, James Golding is obviously having a steer, so I might have to lean on yeah. him and cut some laps in it, uh, which will, uh, yeah, look, I mean, you, you, pro- you wouldn't pass away that, that opportunity, no doubt. Saw James tonight too. I was at the launch of the Team 18. Uh, he looks really happy with the situation he's got with, uh, with Frosty in that car for the Enduros. That's going to be a good gig for him. Yeah, mate, the, well, the Enduros are going to be awesome. It feels like the Enduro lineup, um, you know, last year and then going into this year, there's some pretty uh, pretty good drivers, you know, nowadays, not not to take away from what it's been in the past, but there's obviously a lot of experience, a lot of drivers there now um, in a similar age group that, um, you know, are definitely capable of doing the job. I mean, um, you look at Slady, he uh, finishes up on the podium in his last race and sees yeah. himself in Enduro drive, so that... That sort of probably shows you uh, where the sport is at the moment in terms of, um, you know, how hard it is to, you know, to commercially, you know, keep keep your gig. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be good fun. The old uh, co-drivers cup, boys, keep, a, keep an eye on it. <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on. Hey, Mick, thanks for joining us, mate. We really do appreciate it. And uh, love the fact that you've got a regular gig at, back at GRM. As you said, it's like going home again. And I'm sure it is for those guys as well. All the best for 2020, mate. And I'm sure we'll get the opportunity to chat a few times. Yeah, thanks, boys. Really appreciate it. And uh, love being on the show. And uh, I'll be listening on. Good to hear. Michael Caruso joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, great to catch up with Michael Caruso there and have a chat about his future for 2020 in the TCR. Joining us on the line now also from the Race Talk and from our Brisbane studios, we say g'day to Mark Walker. Hello, Mark. G'day there, Shebex. Uh, boy, busy time. Ooh, Seems like we've all just picked the lucky day to have the uh, thin air there, and we're all going to release our livery right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> it seems that way. I uh, went out and had a chat to the boys out at Team 18. We'll have a listen to Mark uh, Winterbottom and also Scotty Pye a little bit later on and their thoughts on the year ahead. But, yeah, there's uh, if they're not physical uh, launches, there's definitely digital launches happening left, right and centre, Richard. So to recap, in the space of 24 hours, we had two Brad Jones racing cars, a Matt Stone racing car, a Tickford racing car, two Team 18 cars, and a Walkinshaw Andretti United car for Chas Mostert. Um, busy old time, and there's still 10 days to go until, as we speak, the Adelaide 500. So you would have thought that there'd be a little bit of room to drag it all out over the space of a week. But anyway, that's uh, the way it's all rolled out, and very, very interesting indeed. Um, some of the li- liveries, boys, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. There, there's some hot and definitely some not amongst them, uh, and maybe there's a power rankings column coming on the race talk about this. Um, earlier in the week, we had Rick Kelly's Mustang, which is a terrific-looking livery, but if you stuff up a Castro livery, you're a special kind of silly. Um, so well done to them. Really love the DeWalt racing livery on car number 20 for Scott Pye. I think that's a winner. Um Chaz Mostert looks like taking the same design he had on Tickford, changed the colours and taken it to WAU. Not 100% convinced on that one. but uh, And then some sort of just just stock standard stuff from Brad Jones Racing, which is what you expect from the Albury boys. Your thoughts? Well, I've got to say about the Team 18 thing, the thing that I like there is that it's sponsors who sponsored Charlie last year have stepped up. Stanley yep. Black & Decker, Huge multinational mm. company there, Stanley, DeWalt, Black & Decker Craftsman, Irwin Tools, you name it. So they've obviously stepped up with their sister brand there, DeWalt, which is great. And in You've a time, we're going to say too, in a time when other companies are pulling out of the sport or reconsidering their uh, position in the sport. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these brands are, are seeing value in what's going on. Uh, you got Fuchs on the bonnet of Mark Winterbottom's car last year, again this year. But then one of their products, New Line, is now on the, the bonnet of Scott Pye's car. So that's great to see these other brands expanding what they're doing. You know, we've got our, our friends over there at Truck Assist. Mm. All told, they're going to wind up being on five different cars, <laughs> which is fantastic. So, but and the, the thing is, the thing is about this game is that there's so many B2B scenarios going on. There's so many little deals that they don't need to make sense to the public that – you know, all these logos are there for reasons and they're not all just for the exposure of what they're going to get being seen on the side of a race car. So I think it's great that these brands are, are really uh, digging in and getting behind it. Yeah, agreed totally. Uh, having a look at some of the, 
deliveries. I agree with you. The uh, the Brad Jones stuff was, you know, just you're right, just light and length stuff from Brad Jones Racing as it normally is. And but uh, I love the Dewalt car. I saw it live today uh, at the launch, and yeah, it's just it's got that colour. Maybe it could be the black and yellow about it. I'm not too sure, but oh def- no, what? No. Did I say something? No, wrong? You, you you cannot link that as tenuous as it is to Richmond. <laughs> Seriously, I'm just saying come black on. and yellow. That's all I was saying. Come on, come N- on. Ninth place in the championship for Scott Pye this year. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah, there I was know. the opening. You're as good as I think that combo will be, I'm not sure they're going to be a premiership contender. <laughs> so who else are we expected? We saw a we saw a Coke livery a few days ago for uh, James Courtney. Yeah, lot, lots of discussion about that on the socials and the interweb, which you would expect. Um, and and lots of is it big money? Is it not big money? Is it a free deal? Um, for me, I, I don't really care. The fact that Coke is on a car is important because mm. the sport needs those consumer brands in it. Um, it's all great being sponsored by Castrol and Mobile and tool companies, which are the staple of motorsport sponsorship for years and years. Um, but the it's the the retail brands that are the absolute key ones because they're the ones that are on the fringe that tip their cash generally into football, whether it's the NRL or the AFL, and generally don't go outside their comfort zone there. So even if there's not an enormous amount of money trading hands, and we're not going to know what the deal is with Team Sydney, um, some would question whether they know what the deal is with Team Sydney at the moment because there's been very little information released. But um, the fact that there's a Coke Commodore back on the grid is tremendous, and immediately everyone will hark back to the Wayne Gardner racing days, which is fantastic. It's a prominent brand. It's one of the most famous brands around. So to have them on a car, whether they're chucking in big dollars or not, that's entirely up to the team to sort out. But from a visibility point of view, terrific for the sport. And that, so that's a, that's a big get. See the, the way they rolled it out though was pretty fascinating, wasn't it? And we touched on that last week, but yeah, um, I, I like it. Good news. You know, what I've got to say though, is that some of these liveries, they look fantastic. And it's because they're simple, which is great. Mm. They've got good contrast, which I think you need between your logo and the, the colours behind it. I think Jack Smith's uh, SCT Logistics one sort of gets a bit let down there by the logistics not quite being on all white. But yep. some of these cars, they look great because they've got open space, which is yeah. a bad thing for the team. You know, the car looks great from a punter perspective, but the teams would prefer to see these things absolutely plastered to the max. I mean, you look at the, the Matt Stone things. They're, they're busy, but they're busy for reasons because there's a whole mm. lot of different brands all over them sort of thing. So you, you it's a catch-22. You either have a great-looking car that's undersold or you have something that oh, doesn't quite look as good, but, you know, there's no more real estate left on them. So it's always a bit of a balancing act there, and it's hard to get right. But, uh, you know, you look at a, a team like Triple Eight, you know, it's, it's hard to work within the constraints of Red Bull having mm. sort of dealt with that sort of sphere before it's a it is difficult to sort of work in that environment to uh you know they've got very strict guidelines about what their race cars look like but you know they do a good job it's neat it's clean there's no little subsidiary spawn you know there, there's really little fiddly stickers that they kept off the triple eight and the dejar team penske cars because they mm. you know they've got their commercial reasons they know what their real estate's worth and they sell it for all they can get. And they, you know, there's a premium if you want to be seen on the race car. Yeah, and the other thing, the other thing I'll, I'll chip into this is that this weekend, Stephen Johnson will release the full livery of the XT TCM car that they're racing this year in Touring Car Masters. Um, the car they they ran at the test day was just a few of their major backers on it, and that was it, just to to let the blue, that true blue XD Falcon, really speak. Um, the full livery, and I've, I've been privy to what they're planning will be very, very respectful to the original True Blue Falcon of 81, 82. Um, but what they've found is that the messaging is so strong and that, that some of their major sponsors who have very strict branding guidelines with what their logo, so your logo has to be on white or it has to be on black or it has to be on red or whatever, mm-hmm. they've seen what this livery is doing. And I, I reckon it's very much the same for Triple Eight and it would be very much the same, especially for Penske. That, that they see the advantage of going, well, do you know what? If we have a white logo on a blue car, it's only going to look cooler for us. Um, so Stevie J was was telling me that, that they've had a lot of their sponsors go, well, 
hang the design guidelines. Let's just put the logo on the car. It's going to look amazing and it'll fit in with this retro theme that we're doing. And I think that relates to some of these supercar liveries as well. And the more powerful your brand is, the more powerful your team is, like your Penske's, you can get away with stuff like that. And as a result, your liveries look better. And the days of Peter Jackson tipping in a full two-car team budget so you didn't need any other stickers on your pair of EL Ford Falcons when you're Glenn Seaton, um, they're long, well and truly gone. So, yeah, but the the best liveries still remain those nice, clear, clean, simple liveries. Speaking of the surname Johnson, it was great to see Jimmy Johnson at the team, sorry, Jim Richards at the team launch uh, today at Team 18. Of course, Steve Richards is very much a part of that team. Sorry, did I yeah, say something? Yeah. Yes. I was going to say Jim, Jimmy Johnson. He's he's jumped jumped on a plane from Daytona, having qualified for the uh, sixty well, second running of the Daytona five hundred. Just popped down to see a supercar launch is, and fly back for the. Uh, isn't his son Steve one. Johnson? Hey, isn't his son Steve Johnson? <laughs> no, you were talking about Jim Richards, yes. and yeah, it is great. And and Stephen Richards, just going back to Team Eighteen. Um, he's going to play a big role there, stepping away from driving. But um, from a from an admin point of view, he's very smart, ran his own race team for a long time and was always very adept at the commercial side. And like his old man, very good at, at people um, and, and looking after the people chipping into the motor racing program. So oh, I'm looking forward to seeing that impact. And I, and I think having Richo behind the scenes of Team 18 really strengthens mm. that operation. And Charlie's building a really nice little race team there. And if they can unlock the potential that they showed at places like Simmons Plains, where they grabbed a pole and some podiums, then if they can do that more often with two cars trading information, then they're, they're going to be, they could be one of the stories of the season. They could be a real a real contender for regular top three finishes. Well, I mean, for mine, Rich, so much of it comes down to how these teams adapt to this new damper that's going mm. going around this year because it is so radically different. There's a whole lot less adjustment with them, but it's going to be the team that has that front-end geometry sorted for this damper straight away, straight off the bat. If Triple Eight can figure it out, I mean, they've never run anything but the Saks shock absorbers, mm. so it's a, a massive change for them. If they can figure out a geometry that works for this shock absorber and they can pass that on to their customer teams, there's, there's already a lot of data sharing there. They already all pull their data in together. So, mm. you know, if if Triple Eight's strong, there's nothing that should be stopping what they've got going over there at Team 18. Yeah, and that's definitely... And, and if... Yeah, definitely Mark sorry, Winnable, I was going to say, Mark Winterbottom definitely talks about that a little bit later on, about the fact that he's excited for the fact that they are a part of that damper program with Triple Eight and how much of an advantage mm. that'll be for them. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, is that this, is, this new control damper is a super shock damper. Um, branded as Pettis through a commercial arrangement, which is terrific to see another great Aussie company back in the sport tipping money in. But um, so the, the question I, I'm going to have and we'll be asking next week at the test day and at, at the Adelaide 500 is, um, does it have any of the same characteristics as the super shock that Tickford and Erebus and later in the year Walkinshaw ran last year? In that case, will that give them a slight advantage because they they understand how the base super shock works or is it such a clean sheet for this control damper that everyone's running. But it's one of the fascinating stories. What I love, though, is supercars taking the mickey out of everybody by going, right, we're going to give you all a brand new shock absorber. So you've got to get up to speed with that. But what we're going to do is your only major preseason test is going to be at the most billiard table, (laughs) ripple strip free, absolutely perfectly laser guided smooth racetrack at the bend. And then two days later, You've got to hammer down the start-finish straight at the Adelaide 500 and nail that inside kerb at the centre chicane at warp nine and bounce your car a metre and a half in the air. Good luck. So I reckon the first two practice sessions at the 500 are going to be utterly wild and the form guide out of the test day will be the most meaningless we've ever read. That's just an early prediction. I mean, the, the test day always is meaningless. I mean, if we're based off that, I mean, Rick Kelly would have eight championships by now. Yeah. <laughs> but, True. Yeah, are we, we going to see guys at the bend just sending it through paddocks? Like, let's just find oh, some bumps yeah. out here, boys. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. The car park down down near the OTR on the entry, that's quite bumpy in there. I reckon they'll just turn laps in that rather than the actual racetrack. Mm, interesting. Hey, uh, you spoke about real estate on cars. I, I'm going to – Go with two things tonight that uh, I've learnt in the last few days from good authorities. My first one is that real estate will be a plenty on the techno car next week at Adelaide. 
to the extent that they may not even have a sponsor on it at all. It may be a total clean car. Thoughts? Well, are we talking? Are we talking James Courtney? Or no, the James Courtney's obviously no, the, the second car. Driver. The second car. We obviously know that James Courtney's got the Coke uh, car on it, but the second car may okay. not have anything on it at all. But that's happened before. Mm. But it makes yep. it twenty twelve. Yeah, it makes it a little yep. bit of a silly situation. The whole uh, move to Sydney, though, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but the commercial stuff. I mean, this is clearly it's taken a long time to build this program um, and clear, like there there was some Insta stuff going around that they're still prepping last year's techno car a couple of days out from getting it on the truck to head to Adelaide to go to the test. So th- this is clearly a bit of a, a rushed operation trying to get it all together. And then they've got to move between Adelaide and the Grand Prix and, and decamp to Sydney and work out what they're doing from there. So, uh, yeah, look, as long as the car's on the grid, Chevex would be my answer. I, I don't think it matters. And as long as there's someone half-decent driving it, everyone's linking to Chris Pither. And I have absolutely zero dramas with Chris Pither driving it. In fact, I, I think he would be an excellent choice because he's perennially underrated. He did a super job in Super 2 a couple of years ago when he won the title. He stepped in for Stanaway for a couple of rounds last year and was really, really good. Um, so look, if, if it's him, if the car's black, it doesn't matter if, if Chris, if he's the one driving, it can make it go quickly, then it doesn't matter. And if he does make it go quickly, then they might end up with a sticker on it sooner rather than later. So yeah, look, it's just going to be another one of those storylines that we follow throughout the year and and see how it plays out. And and I mean, that whole move to Sydney too, that's going to open doors down there. So, I mean, if it starts out a bit quiet, you know, that, that whole move to Sydney will we'll put them close to a whole lot of different sponsors that normally aren't exposed to a supercar team. So yeah, give them a bit of time. Don't write them off just yet. Um, you know, I think there's so much to still be announced there. We don't know who any of the engineers are, any of what the deal is, what spec the car is. So all those things will become known in due course. But Mark, we're a week away. Well, they're, they're running their agenda. I mean, they've run their agenda the whole time. So, you know, they haven't done it with, the, the public or the media or anyone knowing. So, I mean, that's that's how it's happening. Hmm. They'll, they'll figure it out. Any other supercar news we need to speak about, boys, before I drop my second bombshell? No, I, well, I'm looking forward to the second bombshell. Uh, no, I, I, I would encourage people to head to the racetalk.com because Mark has pieced a very, very good and informative yarn together just touching on the key elements of this year's Supercars Championship. And there's a bit to take in. Um, and, and reading it gives you an idea of some of the unpredictable and variables that are in this year's championship. And we said the same about last year, I know. Um, but we, we live in hope that this year is about the unpredictability from a sporting point of view, not the unpredictability of what's going to happen with parity and all the rubbish that was going on at the early stages of last year's season. And the yarn gives a really good indication of what's changed, what's the same, the race formats, the key things you need to know going into what's going to be a really interesting championship. So I'd encourage people to uh, to jump onto that if they haven't already. Check it out and arm yourself for uh, a massive season on uh, the kicks off of the Adelaide 500. The other thing I will I will just chuck in is that uh, the Race Talks power rankings, of which we talk about often on this show, mm. um, are going to expand this year. Ooh. And we are we have committed, or well, I have, and if you haven't been <laughs> you told have. yet, I'm sorry. Um, we'll pay. We Beauty. have committed now to taking the hot knot and what to the Shannon's Australian Motorsport uh, Championships. Oh. So we will be giving the full power rankings treatment to all of the categories on that slate, TCR, S5000, TCM when they're there, for touring cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that will be very interesting. I get the feeling there's going to be a lot of hot, on that side of the program, there'll be a little bit of not somewhere as well. I, I feel like the what column could be substantial mm. from those rounds. So uh, and you, I'm looking you know what, that. Rich, we're going to find out which people wind up in the not actually pay attention. Like we're having supercars. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Because there will be tear ups, and uh, if people tear us up, that means we're doing our job. So uh, look forward to that. So all right, bombshell number two, Shabeki. Your, your bombshells are infamous. We know that. Mm. Uh, what. Well, you got for I don't right come now. up with too many, but when I do, they are pretty much on the mark, and I have every belief that this is entirely, absolutely, 100% on the mark. 
Right. Uh, Formula One Grand Prix in China is the fourth Grand Prix of the year. Australian Grand Prix first up, Bahrain, Vietnamese and Chinese GP. Nothing official has been mentioned yet by Formula One management, but I can tell you on very, very good authority that the teams have already been told that they will not be racing the Chinese Grand Prix as the fourth Grand Prix for this year. They are trying to move the Grand Prix to a later time down the track to see if they could either, even if they need to move it to another track, but uh, schedules just don't seem to be aligning, so we could lose that Chinese Grand Prix altogether from the calendar, but the teams have been told that they will not be racing in China uh, later on, uh, round four of the year, which is the 19th of April, so it's really effectively only uh, two months away, two and a half months away. So this is because of the because of the coronavirus, virus, yeah, the coronavirus yes, obviously, uh, and the fact that people don't want to go to China, um, catch well, a disease and die because of it, which is completely and utterly understandable. Um, but that that wasn't all. You're holding back because well, the you had a theory that you wanted to float on this program. So please don't don't hold back. Well, my theory is is that the fact that Strap we in, are racing in Adelaide in a week's time. We will have a track set in Adelaide where the original Adelaide Grand Prix was, and I realise it's a different circuit and it's not the same, but there will still be a track constructed. Why don't they bring the Chinese Grand Prix to Adelaide? Okay, well, first of all, that's not going to work. Second of all, it's not in China. (laughs) Third of all, the catch fence isn't high enough. (laughs) <laughs> if we're talking 19th of April, why don't they just put it off a week and move it to Hampton Downs? Why don't we have a double header and they can play support for the <laughs> Super Good idea. They've extended the, the track. The New Zealand Grand Prix, yeah, why not? I like it. It was uh, just a thought. Well, look, i tell you what. There is a really, really, really good dumpling place um, on Peary Street <laughs> in the city, not far from not far from the street circuit and, and in Chinatown, and, and they would love the Chinese Grand Prix being held in Adelaide. And I would eat there every night because they are fantastic. Um, the, the, the only thing, <laughs> uh, I will throw out one thing for you, Shebex. Yes. And it's somewhere between 50 and $75 million, which is what Formula One currently get paid by the Chinese government to have that Grand Prix. Um, so unless someone very, very wealthy in the South Australian government is holding out on me, um, I don't reckon that money exists to uh, yeah, to on. bring but, a. But Grand they're not going to get that money because That's there's right. going to be no Grand Prix. Yeah, the, but the Chinese, the Chinese what, who's going to pay for the freight? Who's going to pay for the shipping? Because uh, I'll just be in Vietnam. Should be something that we could do. You reckon? Do go fund me page or something? Maybe we've all done our bit for raising money for charity this year. I don't think Liberty Media counts as a charity, do they? All right. Well, maybe the Adelaide suggestion might have been a tad stupid. Maybe oh, they I've do. run two races in, J- in Japan before. Why don't we have the Pacific Grand Prix in Japan? Well, why don't you Not have that? Well, could they bring the Chinese Grand Prix back to Melbourne? <laughs> just run a double header, Shebex. Well, why don't they? Why don't they just give the teams that a bit of April off and run two races at Melbourne in a month's time? Run Saturday and Sunday. Here we go. Well, well I mean, we can now, now we're thinking. The, now we're thinking have the logically. Grand Prix. Have the throwback Grand Prix and run it in the opposite yeah. direction like they used to. Yes, that 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 is an idea, hundred percent. All the infrastructure is there. The Victorian government will be happy to pay for it. Where they go, I like it. Right. I like it. But anyway, well, you get it here first, folks. On on the grid, um, double header Australian Grand Prix and Australia Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, one running the reverse direction at Albert Park. The other on Sunday, the standard. And it's going to be amazing. Buy your tickets now at grandprix.com.au. It's the way to go. Can well someone, done, boys. Can someone tell, can someone tell Andrew Westercott at Grand Prix Corp this is happening? Just, give, just ping I'll him an email. Give him a call in two seconds. I'll give him a call in two seconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, boys. Always a pleasure. I like it. I like it. Let's hear from some racing car drivers. They're they're much more informative than us. Yes, we are. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. Uh, in the meantime, though, and Richard, you'll be at the test day for us, so you'll have plenty to bring us uh, next next week also from the test day, including a few interviews as well. But I did go out today, as I said, to the Team 18 launch and caught up with Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye to get their thoughts on Season 2020. And this is what Scott Pye had to say first up. That word because you know can't touch this. You can't touch this.
All right, we're catching up with Scott Pye at the uh, release of the brand new 20 car, the DeWalt car, mate. It looks spectacular. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. It, uh, it does. It, I mean, it looks amazing. It's uh, full credit to Charlie and his team here. Team 18 have just done uh, an amazing job. Put me in a, a really uh, privileged position here with a great car and excited to get on track now and see what we can do. There was always going to be a little bit of a NASCAR look about it, wasn't there? DeWalt obviously uh, very much involved there as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it looks tough. It's their, uh, their slogan. I mean, it's guaranteed tough. I mean, you just have to look at it to, to see that. And uh, the activations, everything we're going to have at the circuit, it just uh, it really shows that this goes beyond just a sticker on a race car. This is, uh, this is a, real, uh, a real statement. Um, you know, they're putting a lot of effort behind this. Um, and like I said, Charlie's done an amazing job here to put some really iconic brands globally on, uh, on a supercar. Really, uh, you know, for me, I believe that um, you get a lot of credibility by association. That's what this does for supercars as well as a category. I think bringing brands like this in shows we're a world-class sport. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, really proud for myself to be representing these brands now. Speaking of tough, how tough was 2019 for you, mate? Was there a point in time where you thought this might be it? No, but, I mean, it's all about 2020 now and beyond. Yeah. So um, just excited now to get the Adelaide 500 for, for this season. How ready are you for the Adelaide 500? I mean, the fantastic team, the fantastic thing is this team had a great finish towards 2019. So they come in definitely for one car, but you would think for two, really prepared for a good season. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me, like, I, I've seen this team now grow over the last few months and expand into that two-car program. Uh, and to be rolling into Adelaide, um, you know, honestly... We're, uh, we're ahead of where I would have expected a two-car team to be in terms of their preparation. So, yeah, I really, uh, really feel confident. The, the team fills you with confidence because of their ability to just be so well-prepared. And I think that when we get to Adelaide, there's not going to be too many um, tired faces floating around our garage. I think everyone's uh, on top of their game and, and organised and ready to go for the first round. Not to say that the workload hasn't been immense. It's just been, uh, I believe, well-coordinated and, and the time's been right to step up. We had a couple of changes to cars last year at the start of 2019. We've got a couple of changes again this year. A bit of an aero angle uh, change for you guys and also the dampers. Talk to us about that. How do you think that's going to affect the cars? The, I mean, the dampers, I think, is going to make the biggest thing in terms of uh, the, the parity across the category. I think for the smaller teams, it's a real opportunity to step up and, and it eliminates that, that um, huge factor of, of performance. You know, I think that some teams are putting a lot of their resources and finances into the, the, that program. And, uh, yeah, I think that there's going to be some real good opportunity for smaller teams and not necessarily smaller teams, but maybe the ones with the smaller budgets that can't afford um, to, to put in such a large part of their, their budget into that program. So the aero, uh, hopefully it, uh, with the reduced aero, allows for closer racing, better show for the fans. That's what it's about. Um, but, yeah, for me, I think that that, that damper change, I think, is a, a really good one by the category. I'm excited to see what they can do for everyone. Mate, congratulations on the announcement for 2020. Look forward to a big year for you. Uh, thank you. Cheers, mate. Always great to catch up with 2013 Bathurst winner, 2015 Supercar Champion, Mark Winterbottom, 2020. What a big year ahead for you, mate. Yeah, um, it's exciting. You know, it's been a lot of work. Um, I joined Charlie's team last year and could see the journey and the potential, um, you know, that, that was going to happen. And two cars, it's come quick. I didn't think we'd have two cars this year. And it's a credit to Charlie and everyone to put it together, um, you know, financially, commercially, staff, um, you know, buying equipment, it's its a massive operation so to be part of it and to see, I guess, where we're going and, and 2020 you know, I really feel like it should be a good year so um, a few rule changes and stuff that I think suit suit our team in particular and we just want to go racing and see where we're at so I'm really excited, it's a, a journey I joined last year but I can see it you know, years to come, this team is the team that I think you need to be at. You brought up the rule changes. Let's focus on those just very quickly. The damper changes, I think, is probably going to be the, the biggest benefit for smaller teams like you that don't have the budgets with the bigger team. You don't have to invest now in that program, and everyone's running the same thing, and that's going to give for better racing, you would think. Yeah, you know, from my point of view, I, I think I just want equal equipment. If you have equal equipment, you back yourself, you back your team, and... Um, you know, you always back yourself to be on the top step if you if you can get it. So um, I think that suits us. We're a customer already of a damper program with Triple Eight. So for us, it's not something new. It's just a, a controlled damper. We're a customer like everyone else. So it's now put us on a level playing field to everyone. Plus, you know, parity last year got a little bit out of control with the Mustang and the Commodore. So there's been a lot of work done with that. Hopefully, that's. Um, 
out of the equation too now. So like I said, the right car, the right driver, the right team on the day, they win. And that's that's what the sport should be. So um, hopefully it's a level playing field and suits us and we get some trophies. One would think that 2020 for you to be successful this year probably has to be a more consistent year than 2019. There were some great performances in 2019. I think you finished fourth. was the highest pole position in Tassie, but there were times when you finished 20, 21st. Is that what 2020 is all about, consistency for the entire year? Yeah, yeah. when you're, when you're a, a new team or, uh, you know, like I put ourselves in that position last year, I think we're a new team, new driver, new staff, new engineers, all that sort of side. So you're allowed to... I think make mistakes and have success but a year on from that I don't think that's acceptable this year so uh, you know Charlie's put in a lot a lot of effort he's provided us with the equipment um, he hasn't shortcut anything so for us uh, a good day needs to be what we saw last year and a bad day needs to still be in the top 10 and um, you know we, I feel like we need to win races we need to win trophies so Good days are always good days. It's those bad days you need to dig deep, lean on the experience, lean on your, I guess, your team and your staff and um, make those bad days, not those 20th positions because, you know, that killed us last year. It was kills momentum, kills your points, it kills everything. So, uh, you know, top 10s need to be a pass and then from then on, sky's the limit. So, uh, easy to say, hard to do, but we'll see how we go. So yeah, for you last year, the 18 car, everything was brand new, team, car, the whole works. This year, it's not as bad as you mentioned, but you've still got a couple of changes. There's a new enduro driver, there's a couple of new guys that have popped over from GRM in the engineering department. Do they all just fit in like a glove and we just move forward, or is there an adjustment period? You know, we stand stand here at the launch and you haven't turned a a lap in anger yet. Everyone gets along, everything's good. When you turn a lap in anger and you're digging deep for two tenths or whatever it is, that's when you're going to see the true colours of everyone. But we we recruited well. We didn't just settle for people. We went out there, we had a list. Uh, We went hard. Like we, (laughs) I say we, you know, because I played a part in it. Everyone went hard at it. Um, And we, we had a high success rate of the people we were getting. So, you know, last year we had to build the environment that had an attraction for people to come. Uh, you know, Manuel, the engineer who will be on my car, massive experience. Um, you know, James Golding, the best co-drivers you can get are the fresh ones out of the category. He was in high demand, he chose us, so I think we've done really well, but like I said, it's all it's all talk, it's all chat. Um, when we turn, uh, I guess, the car in anger and see what we've got, that's when we'll see what everyone can do. And, um, that's what we're ready to go. We're ready to see what we've got. You mentioned Charlie. You've got to give him credit, don't you? While other teams are seeing sponsors pull out and reconsider their investment in supercars, he not only gets a team like Irwin, a company like Irwin involved last year and continue, but then brings a company like DeWalt, a nas- an international brand, especially in motor racing. Just kudos to him. Yeah, it is. And um, I guess like people want... People want things, but you have to go and work your backside off to get it. And his work ethic is so superior to anyone I've ever seen. And, and um, he works hard. And, you know, that's why I guess as a driver, you, you owe him a lot. Um, people want it and people do it. He's a doer. He just goes out and grabs it. And, you know, Stanley Black & Decker's a $14 billion company global. They are big players in the market. And, you know, DeWalt, Irwin, um, you know, Stanley Black & Deck, all those brands, it's, they're the biggest in the market. So they've chosen us as a, as a destination. Um, a lot of that plays on Charlie's shoulders and, and uh, you know, it's a credit to him. You know, they're the big brands and gives you credibility and now we need to go and deliver and that's, that's on us now. I'm amazed to see how much the family has grown, mate. The kids are, are, are big kids now. Are they really into what you do? Are they they're 100% behind you? They come to all the tracks and, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I've got a nine-year-old, um, Oliver, who's yeah. here. Um, seven-year-old, couldn't care less. And uh, he's at home having ice cream or Red Rooster or whatever he's eating. So he's happy having chips. And, um, and an eight-month-old that only has one goal at the moment and I can't provide it. Yeah. So... Uh, so, no, it's interesting. But Oliver's but right into it? Oliver's right into it, and, you know, he wants to see the car, he wants to see the staff. Um, because, you know, although we race on track and we go home, um, we live and breathe this sport, and they ride the highs and lows with it, you know. And, and when you go home and 
you're happy or you're on the phone, you're chatting to that engineer or you're bringing this staff or whatever. Yeah. They see you, they see your work ethic, they they live and breathe the roller coaster with you. And um, that's a really cool moment as a dad because when, I guess you're always trying to set the right standard for your kids and to see him involved and asking the right questions and supporting me, um, yeah, it's a proud dad moment. So I'm lucky to have him and my seven-year-old, I think he still loves me and respects me. He just, uh, just he, likes, he likes hot chips and ice cream, so uh, he's at home. But it's, it's a beautiful thing. Hey, uh, also we should mention bringing Scotty into the team as well. Lots of lots of uh, advantage there from his experience and the like, and what he can bring as a, another voice to the engineers. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, that, that'll help drive our team forward. So it's it's good that we've got two that are different. You know, like I'm been in the sport a while, um, got experience, but what I can offer, um, Scott potentially can't. But what he brings is things that I can't do. So collectively, we need to make sure that we remain united. Um, it's Team 18, it's not, the drivers aren't, it's not about the drivers, it's about Team 18 and um, that's our, our goal to work together and go forward and kind of push each other, um, push the team and get it to a level where we're 1-2 and once we're 1-2 then, then we fight but until we get to that point it's internal battling just can bring it apart so um, I've tried to set that as the, as the standard and um, you know, he's really keen to work with the team as well. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that we can get this team forward and create a team environment and a team, I guess, you know, legacy type thing that this is the number one team in pit lane and him and I need to work well to do that. I'm sure you will, mate. All the best for 2020. Look forward to catching up with you throughout the year. Bring it on. Thanks, mate. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And there you have it, another episode of On The Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. Thanks to everyone for coming on board today. Next week, a full review, or a full preview, we should say, actually, of the Superloop 500 over in Adelaide. It's going to be a ripper race to start off the 2020 supercar season, and you'll hear all about it right here on The Grid.